20 Schemes is the church planting ministry of Nidri Community Church in Edinburgh, Scotland and Redeemer Fellowship Church in Bardstown, Kentucky. With these conversations, we're trying to expose some of the issues we experience in our ministries. We hope that with honest and frank conversations, we can begin to open up on some of the hard realities of church planting and revitalisation in schemes and council estates around the UK. In fact, even around the world. In this spirit, these conversations will be published completely uncut. I'm Mes McConnell, and this is the 20 Schemes podcast. So we're here with Sharon, the Rose of Sharon Dickens, who is... What do you do? Do some admin in there. You're, what's your full title now? Because we change it every year. <laughs> we do change it every year. This year it's Director of Women's Ministries. Director of Women's Ministries. Makes it sound like I actually do stuff, eh? So, why can't women be pastors? It's because the Bible says we're not allowed to. We have a lot of people who disagree with us, though, don't we? Mm, loads. So what do you think about that? I think they're deluded and it's quite a shame. <laughs> Strong words. Uh, so one of the arguments, about debate, again, there's constant debate about complementarity and oh, we have women's to? and blah, blah, blah. And um, you hate it, don't you? Yeah, it bores me. Is that because you're an oppressed woman? No, I just, we spend so much time talking about, um, we spend so much time talking about, like, how women are allowed to serve in churches and in what capacity, but we just, we spend so much time on that, we don't spend any time on actually getting them serving. So I... Egalitarians better at getting it done than we are. Well, they're doing it. Are they though? Um, I don't know actually. So I see. So now so that I you've said it out women, loud, I'm thinking I see about women, it. Th- I see women being pastors or vicars or, or whatever. But yeah, but like, and then that's held out like it's the role to have. That's the role to have. But yeah. in those churches that they're pastoring, should we say? Are women really getting the same opportunities? I mean, when we go places and we meet um, women from both sides of the fence, um, we ultimately probably employ more women than 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 any. There's little doubt we employ more women than yeah, but we have them also in significant roles. Yeah. So when we I come across people that are from um, uh, like you see, women ministers. They would have women elders, but you, they wouldn't. The the women that I meet don't have a strong women's ministry. There's any other than some of the complementarian churches I come across. They've not thought through right. any more than we have how they take care of their women pastorally in their congregation. So, what do what do what do egalitarians do with you when they meet you? Most of them get annoyed and tell me how oppressed I am. <laughs> because that's the lie, right? I mean, I don't, I don't have a thing about egalitarian complementarianism, but it's the lie that, you know, somehow complementarity were keeping you down. You and the yeah. sisterhood down. We're oppressed, apparently. Are I have you? no opinion, and I can't think for myself. Um, Most of the women... I'd love you with no opinion, it would be... <laughs> Be dead good. I, I am becoming more of a vanilla with age. Oh, yeah. I, I am truly. It's a dream. Um, less ranty, less opinions about everything. I'll just stare into the camera like that. 
Um, most most of the time we're met with like. To be fair, every time I've been in a context where I've been in a situation or a meeting with other people from an egalitarian background, they seem hostile towards us. Um, and then they tell us how we behave. So usually they tell me some bizarre thing about how um, we're not allowing women to serve, which ironically is weird since I'm the one that's sitting there serving for 20 schemes. Um, and it's like they have this opinion of... of Do you think... Both sides just caricature each other without understanding. Yeah, I think so, which is a shame. Because the trouble, and again, it's the bit that annoys me. We spend so much time having this argument and so much time having this discussion. But I wish they'd take like just half an ounce of that energy and actually put it into well thought out women's ministry. Like, why, why do you think we get we're treated suspiciously by complementarians who think we're egalitarians and egalitarians? <laughs> Who don't like us because we're complementarians. Right, so complementarians think we're egalitarian in disguise because we've got women in... um, But we're not, right? No, we're not at all in any way, shape or form. Um, We are very, very complementarian. We are... In fact, the whole way... So why do they think it then? I, I think because you've put women in significant positions. So we have... um. Many women serving in 20 schemes and in our church plants that have um, significant roles um, and that's misunderstood. So what can't you do? Like, so I, I would say that we can't be elders. I would agree. I would say that women can't be uh, pastor elders, so they can't preach on a Sunday morning. And there would be debate about women being deacons. And so even in the complementarian platform, there would be some who would say that it would be okay for women to have a diaconal role. And then there would be others and um, 20 scheme. Well, I would agree with us that, that feel that it's not a, a role for women either. So just to be clear, maybe community church don't have women deacons. Yep. Uh, but none of the church plants that we currently plant would have a problem with women deacons. Um, I, Certainly, the boys and I talked to them theologically. I would think that maybe, maybe one of them. I would. I was going to say. I think there would be one that we'd have an issue with when yeah. Kent. Um But yeah, they all have women's workers. We all have women's workers. Yeah. And as I said, we all have women in a position of. I mean, you're the director of women's ministry. It's not a. It's not. It's not a made-up position, is it? Just to keep you in no. your place. No. I mean, I genuinely um, have a... So why were men scared of you when I first came to the church? Because they didn't know quite what to do with me. Is it because you were gobby? I have an opinion. That is the thing, isn't it? Women with an opinion get dismissed as gobby or problematic, right? Yes. Frustrating, isn't it? It is very frustrating. And it, the, there was no significant place to serve. So, I mean, that's not true. There was. It just, it wasn't for me. So, I mean, um, the, the opportunities for service um, were, um, was, was either making tea and coffee. And I make a really rubbish cup of coffee. I, I've got a good chat, though. I, I don't drink coffee, so... Which is fine. You only drink water. That's easy. I can cope with that. And also children's ministry. And at the time... Um, my kids were still very young, so it wasn't unless you were. It was a, a place to access. You could take your kids as well. There was just no opportunity. Why is that? Why? 
do churches like a lot of churches we know women are relegated to not that these positions aren't not that serving the coffee is not a high act of worship of no, honoring God's like, not like great. you know doing children's ministry is not but, a high calling but why why do women get so boxed into these things and what 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 other if you're looking at a local church so we've said right it can't be elders pastors um what can they do they can care for each other pastorally look at, i mean i mean small p isn't that um, the pastor's job and the elders it is the pastor's job and the elders um but i think that there's um something to be said for a mature women coming alongside a younger woman, I think the Bible says something about that in Titus 2, but um, the reality is that if you're going to teach a woman how to be a, a, a godly woman, I mean, showing them is part of it. So older women who are mature and godly need to come alongside younger women. Pastor's wife can do that, can't she? She may be able to do that, but then she may not be gifted and she may be working full time and it may not be her, her thing. Um, and in the UK, that's pretty much what everybody says. They, if you ask them what their plan is for taking care of their women pastorally in their congregation, what generally we'd say is, go see the pastor's wife. And if or an elder's wife. Or an elder's wife. And the reality is, if every woman in the congregation went and saw the pastor's wife, she would she would be inundated and probably like crash under the weight of taking care of all these women. But she also might be working full time. It might not be her gift and she might not be people friendly. Just because she's a pastor or elder's wife doesn't necessarily mean that that's her, her gift. In. It really isn't by one get one free. And so simply having that is, is, is a, a, a way of taking care of women. It's, one, it's, it's, it's an option, but I would suggest it's not the best option. I mean, it would be far better for us to have um, trained, um, equipped um, and thought out um, women's ministry in our congregation so that our women are one another in each other and taking care of each other better. But they're doing it well within the, the confines of the, the a, a biblical premise. So it's under the submission of the elders, but they're doing it well and, and right. So, Thinking it through is, is a good thing. So... When I first came to the church, would you say you were a complementarian? I would, if you asked me, I would have said no. Um, and I would have said things like, I don't like women preachers because it makes me unhappy. Um, I, I wouldn't have, if you'd asked me about women deacons, I would have still been forming a, an idea because there are things that women can do that would be diaconal, so I would have still formed it. So there would have been, I would have been becoming, but not quite have said So how's, what and how and what has shaped your theological growth in this particular area? I mean, lots of things. Um, proper, solid teaching on the Bible and thinking it through, other than just accepting what I've been told. Um, so that, that's been helpful. Um, seeing really good eldership. So I realised that one of the reasons that I probably would have been sitting on the fence is simply a, a, a lack of trust. So when you have been ignored and um, have no opinion and it's frustrating and constantly trying to be this round peg in a square hole, um, when you watch things from the sideline and you have no voice, it's, it's, it's difficult. So I think that some of it would have been my sinfulness in the sense that I, I would have lacked trust 
when it came to um, submitting to, to elders. What's the difference between submission and oppression? I think submission is a voluntary act of will, so it takes us, I think it takes strength um, and, and character to, to submit to someone. Oppression is when somebody forces that upon you. Okay. So. Yeah. Do you think that a lot of pastors are scared of confident women? I was going to say gobby, but <laughs> confident. Um, I don't know. I mean, I can only speak, I don't know every pastor, but I can speak from the, the so from my experience, um, I don't necessarily think that it's that they're afraid. I think they're just not entirely, maybe it is fear, I don't know. They just didn't really know what to do, like, with people that had an Hang opinion. Minute. Can we just press pause? So I basically just stopped there because I'm a pro and took a phone call. Basically, you were bored for five minutes. And I wasn't bored for five minutes. Things. I was just, you know, that phone call was like a 500 quid phone call. It was expensive. So we just saved 500 quid. It did. There we go. So I'm happy. Maybe we could buy, you know, some flowers for the women to arrange in the church. Uh, too soon for that joke. <laughs> We're going to have flower arranging in our we, church. We have had once. Did we? we had, and it was pretty well attended. Flower arranging? Yeah, but by our... Me? We had a, I here? No, so I can't remember who organised that. Yeah, you were here. Um, wow. It was um, right in the very beginning, and one of the girls organised it as a social, and a lot of the um, middle-class girlies turned up and had a ball. Near the council state last I, I never went. We had, we had dinner at my house. Mm, flower arranging. And then we went thing, to the movies. It? It's just not my thing, flower arranging. I like pretty flowers, though. Think it's a spiritual gift. I think it could be up there with hospitality. Strangers. Um, I've just lost my complete train yeah. of thought. My being facetious. <laughs> Tell me what you think of the Billy Graham rule. This is the rule where um, guys are not allowed to spend time or do meetings. Where they're not allowed. I think. How does a... it work? What's the rule? So. It came up because this guy, Pence, whatever, who is the vice president in America, who's a Christian, was asked about something and basically says he's never alone. He's never on his own with a member of the opposite sex unless his wife is present for any long periods of time. So as not to, one, get himself in a compromising position, etc., etc. Now, what happened was he just got ridiculed. And by a lot of women who were like mortally offended going, well, if you think you are, I'm not going to jump on you just because you spend time with me, etc., etc. Because we have a, we don't, I don't know if it's the Billy Graham rule, we have some. We would have a similar. Would, would you call it yeah. a strict rule? I mean, it's a rule I have. When we think of the 15 ministers or so in the history of yeah. this work, what was it? Something like five of them were caught or involved in yeah. extramarital affairs. Yeah. With. Members of opposite sex and same sex. Yeah. Yeah. Church, Nidra Community Church. Nidra Community Church. Um, the, yeah, the, 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 yeah no, the, this church. Nidra is about 140 years old, had about 15 ministers. But, but, and so I'm very, very, very yeah. cagey. And the stats are no different. I mean, you see, the only place that would actually do stats like this is America. And I looked at them once, and it's like a third, a third of pastors have admitted to having. But do you think an it's offensive to women? I don't find it offensive. I think when it's um, explained well, it's helpful. 
Um, so we would have a, a similar framework for working and I would encourage our women... But that's, to that's, that's good. I was talking to a lady about this who was really helpful to me. And she says, that's good for you in ministry. She can appreciate that high intensity, high... Yeah. In it. But what about this lady particularly? She says, you know, I'm a boss in the boardroom. And sometimes I've got to have meetings with men like, yeah. in the office, one-to-one. She said, well, how does that rule apply to her? I mean, in a way that's... Not gonna... So I would have, to, I would, I would be in that position where I would have to have meetings with with guys, yeah, and one to one. But I would make sure that we had the meeting in a public place. But in so the boardroom and the, and, yeah. and and a company like that, how, you know, that might not be. Um... Some places have it where the so we you have to work within the framework that you've got. So like, so you think it's they think the principle is not here's a here's a rule that. You enforce in every situation, but here's a here's a, a and a here's a broader principle that you have to watch out yeah. for. But okay. I also think that in general, like so, I would I so I, I would think in general that we that you have to have um, boundaries. So even if you are in a business setting, yeah. I mean, you're not having personal or private conversation. Yeah. I mean, the conversation's not intimate. It's not you're having a business meeting that's there for a very specific purpose. What, why do we have such a strong rule here in Nidri around the opposite sex. Just culturally, just explain yeah, it. Culturally, it's it's not helpful for us. Um, for a lot of the the people we spend time with, guys and girls, so our women as well as our guys, um, they misunderstand what we would see as general Christian love and affection. So just being nice to someone yeah, yeah. is misinterpreted. Um, I remember um, very early on we... Um, some of our young guys got um, they got saved, and they thought every Christian woman in the church fancied them because no, no, they this. were I they were this. just being nice and said good morning to them. So simple things are misinterpreted. So we are very cautious, um, and for two reasons: one, because we want to make sure that we care for our young Christians well, and don't hurt them unintentionally because of our our uh, lack of a lack of attention to them. Do you think it's more to do with how we do discipleship as well? Because also, middle class Christians don't do discipleship yeah. the way we do it, right? We're so 24-7, all-encompassing, yeah. day in, Full day on out. Full in life. somebody's life all the time. So that would be the second thing I say is that our, our discipleship really is being involved in someone's life full on 24-7. And that's just not good or appropriate that it's it's people of the so opposite sex. You make attachments very yeah. quickly and people and confuse also, to hear sex and intimacy, don't they? Yes. And also because a lot of the conversation you are having in, in, in discipleship when it is so intense, it's very intimate and personal. And you don't want that kind of relationship. Um, it's not helpful for that kind of relationship, that kind of deep, intentional relationship between a guy and a girl. That doesn't mean that she shouldn't see good godly guys and... She, and a guy should see good godly women and how they, they deal with life and but there's ways of doing that without being so you're, you're, intimate in life. You're a single mother. I am. Two kids grown up. How do you or how have you sought as a single mother in the church to um find um in a safe way good godly yeah. male role models and family role models not just yeah that. so that that was probably one of the hardest things so when my kids were very small there wasn't a lot of kids in our congregation so now we're like bursting at the seams but at Nidri we had um 
four kids then and um, my kids were very different to the other kids and it was difficult because we were surrounded by um, so my kids have influences in their life but they weren't they had guys in their life but they just um, they're not Christian my family are not saved and so I remember um, praying about it for a long time and asking God how I approach people that I thought were would be good godly influences in my life and have that conversation I remember one of the most awkward conversations with um, a, a guy that um, was in our congregation for a long time and I, I remember having this conversation where you're trying to explain I'm, I'm not interested in you so I don't fancy you but I want you to spend some time with my kids mm-hmm. um, and he wasn't the most forthcoming in, 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 in chat uh, under uh, any circumstances never mind being confronted by me trying to have this awkward conversation with him and he said something very polite and said something along the lines of um, I'll go away and I'll pray about it and he did and thankfully spent some time with my son he used to take him to the football which was great um, and my son would be really quiet pretty much every every Sunday morning but um, this guy would take him to the football and he'd say he never shut up the whole time he just talked the whole time and then there was another guy in our congregation who um, just basically came and said I thought I would babysit for your kids while you go to the prayer meeting and that was much more natural because he then established a normal relationship with my kids where they would play Mario Kart and eat pizza and chat things through. And my son particularly um, became very attached. And that was a real relationship where he would speak well and wisely into to his life. And it was nice. Um, like when my, my son was having a moment on a Sunday morning for someone just to go, just pack it in mm-hmm. and give your mum a bit of a chance. And then when we started spending time with other families, so there's families who um, had, so we started getting families in church. I mean, you guys came and things started to change, but seeking it out was difficult um, and it was awkward and it wasn't, as you know, without its issues. Um, but for my kids, it was something that was, it was really necessary. What advice have you got for churches, church leaders? How can churches... Christian communities, pastor and love and disciple and encourage single mother, single parent families as well. Yeah. Try not to get my soapbox. I think we, the didn't, first, we didn't talk about this at the first We didn't talk about it the first time. And we, we filmed this, we were rubbish the first time. No, well, you were rubbish. I was pretty happy for As always. Um, I think the one thing that's most frustrating is that I hear a lot of times is people say this, it, it's a throwaway comment, or like their husband's been away for a fortnight or his wife was in hospital for five days and they think that that gives them some sort of like helpful information about what it's like to be a single parent. And it may do give you a glimpse, but the reality is that when you're a single parent, nobody else is coming. It's not for five days, it's not for two weeks, it's forever. So you're the one that has all the responsibilities like when your kid's struggling with puberty and they should be talking to your dad, you're the one that they've got. And so that's difficult. So I think that... My kids f- never talk to me about puberty. <laughs> it's because you make them. They, they never talk to me about it. And so the reality... I had to have that conversation with my son. Thanks for that. But the, the reality is that, like, just thinking through the enormity of just normal day life for a, a, a single parent is helpful. 
everything is doubly hard because there's nobody else coming. But practically, the what? So practically, they, they could come and help, like be a babysitter, so she can actually get to the prayer meeting without worrying about having to get back at a certain time or always, always sending her kids to her mum's. When she's struggling on a, a Sunday morning go and like entertain the kids for 20 minutes so she can have a chat and a cup of coffee in peace without having to constantly worry about like where our kids are and what they're doing. But get, in, get involved and invest in their lives. It really doesn't take a lot to make a big difference in a small way. Like babysitting, speaking to their kids, being a good godly voice in our kids' lives and hers helping her to keep on keeping on. So spend time, think about how they care for them, think about how they do stuff. If all their Bible studies and prayer meetings and everything is in an evening when she can't come, is it so hard just to set one up during the day when she can? Like Those simple things can make a huge difference to the isolation that she constantly feels. So it's not big steps. It's just thinking about the fact that not everybody is like Janet and John with 2.46 kids. What's the difference, or is there a difference, between um, scheme families and middle-class families? Is there a difference? Yeah, there is a difference. I think the way that we... It's just different. I mean, we... It is different. We show love different ways. We communicate different ways. Sometimes I think that it looks like we're having an argument when actually we're just How do you show love different ways? In schemes, they, like, it's, I don't know if it's a bad habit because they've never had, but love means never saying no. Like, if you say no, it means you don't love them. Not a middle-class parents, I would say, like that. Maybe. I don't, yeah, it could be. Oh, a lot of them spoiled brats. Also, yeah, okay. Maybe there's not that much difference then. Also, the whole, like, kids have to have everything even when they've not got enough money to pay for it. So the latest bling, don't want anybody looking at their kids thinking badly of them. Um, but then there's lots of benefits. Like, m most scheme families I know have massive extended families. Um, so you're in and out of each other's lives. live locally, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like they have to go to the childminder because... Their granny will watch them or their auntie will watch them or there's so even though there's struggles because um the middle class family seems very spread out geographically yeah, dispersed yeah interesting that is right and so we would be much i would be from from a scheme well and so we would be much more in each other's like immediate family's lives so i see my mum every week my kids still come for dinner on a saturday it's done that we've done that for generations and you're in each other's lives all the time. It's not like you just see your mum or your dad like every six months when you drive up to see them at Easter. I got asked a question recently by someone who said, do you think I should let my kids play out in the streets? It's one of the things I love about the schemes. What, what do you think about that? Then? I think that... It's difficult. Yeah. In my corner, I remember it. the girls were younger, the girl they wanted to hang out with and play with, but I knew the person that they were playing with Dad was a dealer, yeah. And they'd come and say, "Oh, can I have a sleepover? Can I go in their house and that?" And I was always like, "Nah, but your friend can come and hang out at Agaf and, and stuff like yeah. that." And my kids were a bit different. I always find this weird because my kids were more at risk with their more affluent middle class friends right. than they were with the scheme friends because they were the ones that were accessing drugs and alcohol because they could afford that. Yeah. Um, and so 
And for me, it wasn't about hanging with the kids. It was about but, I yeah. knew what was going on in the, yeah. in the houses. So one of the things I really like about my street was Saturday night I came home and um, the kids are all out on their bikes. One of them's out in one of those go-kart things and they're tearing up and down the street. Yeah. All playing together. Everybody's on the balconies watching them. Is that gone, though, that? No, I, I see it every week, but yeah. I think most of it is gone. With the, Everybody's got an Xbox yeah. or a PS4. And, and I think that's part of what I find quite sad in more affluent areas was they would be having play dates, organised events, but most of it would be, like, within confined areas. We don't have areas. a culture of play dates, do we? No, they just go out to play with their pals and come back in for tea. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So it's I, I, I love it. I love walking through Nidri in the summer when they've cracked open a hydrant and they're all running through the water. Every day, every flipping. <laughs> I know it's annoying if it's your end of the town. Oh, but it's great. They, like, I remember that as a kid where you had most of your pals. Like, but, and that's what I see every Saturday when I come home. They're all out there on their bikes, racing around the streets, playing with their pals. But other danger? Deviants, paedophiles, predators? Yeah, there is. But there's so how do you manage that? Because we're used to environment, but say yeah. a middle class family moving into an area, always the first question the mum's going to ask when they've got children is what about schooling? Yeah. What about these questions? So they're, they're legitimate concerns? Yeah, it's legitimate concerns. Um, Skin people take care of themselves. So, I mean, when I was a kid, it used to be that like when we're all out playing and somebody that was a stranger that wasn't recognised came in, Everybody looked after each other and you were protected. And it's different now because technology and stuff, but I still see it. But don't you think you it's different the, now with gentrification and all these new people that no one knows? It is very in. different now. You're just like, but, who is that? Exactly. But some of it, even recently, last summer, we were still on Facebook. Everybody was saying, look, there's a dodgy guy. Try to pull somebody in a car. Just watch out. This is what the car looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just telling each other in a different way. So there's elements of that that are still there, and then you're right, we've got elements where we just don't know. It's changing so fast. You Even think middle-class people are precious about their kids? You think they're too precious? Well, I think we're just as precious, just in different ways. Yeah. Like, I think we just do it differently, basically. So we, I, I would say, kids play in my street, and you see the mums with the door open, and, like somebody else watching them for the balcony. Somebody's always keeping an eye. Ah, it's always groups sat in Aye. my corner, all sat out. Kids are running around yeah. right on the streets. Brilliant. And they all look after each other. Yeah. So if something happens, somebody else is, 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 is getting involved. Yeah. And it would be very quickly. But there's pockets of that now. Whereas in Nidri, that's changing because our demographic's changing. Well, let me go back to women's ministry. Go on so then. you've been teaching a bit now. You've been doing it for a few years teaching around at a few conferences um, about women's ministry and the need for it in the church. What do you think, in your experience that you so far, is the biggest problem in the evangelical church right now regarding women in ministry? They're just not doing it. So when the pastors come up, they what they say is, we really want to have something like this, but we don't know how. And also some have done it and it's gone badly wrong. And so they're afraid. And then the women come up and say, we desperately want this. I don't know how to start it. And so you have two ends of the spectrum desperately wanting to do something. Um, both see that there's a desperate need and nobody doing it because of one reason or another. What's your Sometimes, advice generally been to that? Recently, it's been a bit different because um, 
when I've been starting to speak to pastors, what they've been saying is yes, but, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. And I'm like, yeah, I understand there's going to be difficult questions. Um, you need to work out how you can run something that's great so it's not independent and is in submission to your elders. I understand you want to be able to know how the structure is going to work. How does that work, work in Nidri? So you get a, um, a lot of latitude to do what you want. We do. Our elders trust us a lot. And that's what it comes down to, right? But how, how do you keep us... Uh, informed to make sure you're not going off down a, a different direction. How, how's it working out? So it's built on a, a Titus 2 framework, older women, younger women, and then we have a point person. So um, I would see someone, and if I had a, a concern um, that um, I felt that I needed some advice on, then I have a point person. And our, we have a women's worker at Nidri, and she's our point person. And that there's and reports then, go to the elders. And she, she then would, she would make reports monthly to our elders because we have a night that's just for women women's ministry. And um, she also would um, go to the elders if, if they want and give updates. Um, and it's the same way back and forth. So if the elders would want uh, women to go and see someone in the congregation, then they, they would follow the same framework. They'd speak to the women's worker. She'd take someone with her. And so, so what happens with, this, with serious cases of sin then? Did that get passed on to the elders? or? Well, it would be passed on to the elders and pretty quickly. So all of us can go to the elders any time. Right. We don't have to go to a women's worker. We can always go straight to an elder. How do you ensure but, that women are getting consistently good biblical counsel? Because yeah. it's all right saying it's a mature woman like you yeah. doing it, but what about, there's a lot of moving parts, isn't there? There is a lot of moving parts, which is, so we train them and we set the DNA, so we set the benchmark and then we teach them what the benchmark looks like. And how long did you, so you didn't start straight away, you just, what, got a group of women together and then? We did, we got, um, it took us over a year actually. So we got a group of um, seven women, eight including myself. Um, how did and you pick them? To be, to be fair, a lot of it was <laughs> intuition, because there weren't the, um, in, in prayer, it wasn't the obviouses. Some of it was because I'd, I'd watched and observed and seen how they, um, you watch, you watch how they'd handled someone that came in from the scheme or a conversation. You observed their life and because you were involved uh, and knew the struggles that they were going through, I also sometimes um, asked them to do stuff just to see how they would respond. Um, and then I uh, picked seven and brought them to the church and the elders suggested an eighth. Did, you, did it create... Any tension? It created lots of tension. I mean, it's like being at school, um, and you know how bad it was. It was like nobody likes not getting picked when they think that they have a pastoral gift. Um, but and, and how and did so, you handle that then? Um, it took a long time, and for some of our women, it was um, it, in the beginning it was um, very gently. and then in some cases it was a, a little bit more firmly. So how do you handle a woman who says? I think I've got a woman's pastoral gift, and you think, no, you don't. I, th I think that I would put them to, I'd, I'd give them some opportunities before I would respond. Okay. Um, and then I would ask other people also, because um, just my, uh, nobody's that good. You have to ask other opinions and pray about it. People might have seen something and have observed them in a different situation that I've, that I've not seen. So I would pick re reliable people and ask them. Have you made any clangers? 
Um, thankfully, no when it came to the pastoral girls, but in general, yeah, I've made lots of clangers when it comes to pastoral stuff. It's not like... Oh, I remember a particular couple, we made a clanger. Yeah, and, and to be honest, that that was, and we can't mention names, but that's one of the most fascinating things. So one of, one of the biggest clangers you write was I challenged someone and they didn't like it. And um, spoke, and it was so. And I, I know that um, in that case, I had been really gentle. It just never went well, and it went to the elders. And I remember you phoning me, and I'd had the worst night ever. It'd been the night where somebody'd phoned us, and their kids were out in the street, and he was drunk, and like it was one of those scenes. And then you phoned me about this other couple saying that that there'd been a complaint, and I was like, "That's it. I've jacked it. I've had enough. I've seriously had enough." The elders were very good and um, helped me to persevere and they spoke into the situation. And that was eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And then last year, he came and spoke to me about that, his, the husband, and said, um, and it was one of the most surreal moments ever, he said to me, you might not remember something, but it's been really bothering me. And I'm like, yeah, I totally do remember it, actually, because it was one of the worst days of my life. I never said that to him, though. And he was completely different, completely apologised, said um, that, and it's true, their life is not the same now. So, I mean, even though it was a difficult time and I had made mistakes, everybody's not the same now. We've all grown and, and our pastoral girls have grown and our congregation's grown. So it's not all been clangers. Some of it's been good. John, how long have we been? Good for 40 minutes. Can we, can we stop now? Yeah, one piece of advice for... Hire some women. Um, send her us to get trained. Uh, like... Yeah, you do training courses, right? We do do training well, courses. Advertise your training courses. Advertise my training course. So I, if you were asking me to give one piece of advice, I genuinely ask all leaders to start the conversation. Have the hard conversation about the, the difficult questions. Find yourself a, a really a really good woman who will bring a team around her and train them and then um, come and help ask us to help you train them. And so we have a, a, a lot of training courses. We've got one that you can come and do um, over a whole year with, a whole year with us. Um, and uh, we are launching our new one in January. Um, it's going to be a distance learning one where you still get the mentoring but at a distance. So if they're interested in that, they can contact women at 20schemes.com and I'll send them some information. Good to hear, people.